0: Rick is teaching from Joshua 2, 1 through 11 this morning. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shatim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan, as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. for the Lord your God, He is the God in the heavens, above and on the earth beneath
1: So in our redemption story we hear today, there's, we're going to get into some a lot of the details of it, but ultimately, what happens is a prostitute lies um, and And so that, like, the redemption story that we're going to talk about today deals with a prostitute who lies and um, becomes a hero. Uh, And I want you to to think about that for a second, Um, and we're going to get to some of those details in just a bit, Um, but ultimately the story that Kelly just read to us is about a prostitute lying to protect God's people, Um, and... There's some uh, philosophy of is a bad thing a bad thing if it accomplishes a good thing. Um, we're not going to get into those details because I'm not smart enough to figure that one out. But if you really are interested in philosophy, this is a, this is a good conundrum for you to consider. Um, but what I want to say at the beginning, and this is something that I, I used to say a lot in, and through other series that we've done many years ago. Um, This phrase was repeated many times. Brokenness always precedes redemption, Um, and I I just I kind of want that idea, that concept to to be in our minds as we go through today. Um, Brokenness always precedes redemption. Um, In our culture, in and I think really just in our maybe who we are as as generally speaking, middle-class people with trying to raise families and be a family and all that stuff, we tend to run from brokenness um, <clears throat> in two ways. One, we don't want to be broken, and so we, we run from it, and we try to put comfort around us to keep us from being broken. And then the other fact, and, and this one may be hiding a little bit below the surface, and I think is, is true for all of us, is that we hide our brokenness from the people that we go to church with, the people that we're in close relationship with, our our spouses, our close friends, but maybe even we try to hide our brokenness from ourselves. But if we really believe that brokenness always precedes redemption and that Jesus is the ultimate redeemer, I think it's a good idea for us to press into our brokenness and deal with it and be honest with it and somehow allow God to orchestrate events to happen to bring about redemption in our lives. Um, I think we love the idea of being redeemed. We don't like the idea of being broken. Um, But without brokenness, there is no redemption, and it all points to Jesus as, as our hero. I want to tell uh, a quick story about um, the summer of 1988. <laughs> the summer of 1988. Uh, it was somewhere in July, and um, I was at a camp called Pinecrest. We were actually talking about Pinecrest just a little bit ago. That's um, For those of you uh, students who went to youth camp last year, that's where you guys were. Um, So here's here's the story, it's it's 1988, the summer of 1988, Um, it's between my junior and senior year of high school. Wow, he's old. Um, And I had just begun to really get serious about Jesus and about my faith and church up to that point had just been Rick trying to be a good boy or Rick playing baseball instead of going to church. And at this point, I'm really beginning to get serious about my faith. And so our youth group at this point had what was called a youth council. We had a youth group of about 60 or so. And we had a youth council where each grade level would vote on their representative on the youth council, very much like a student council in in school, right? And um, the senior class, those representatives got to be, Either the president or the vice president of the youth council, and it was a really big deal. And me getting serious about my faith for the first time, I during a night at youth camp, um, probably the night where everybody you know cries and whatever. Um, I go to my my youth minister, and like the next week when we get back from camp, we're going to vote on youth council and who's going to be the president and the vice president. And I go to him and say, look, Rex, um, I, don't, I don't know what's going to happen when, when we have the vote next week, but he, here's what I need you to do. However many votes I get, I don't, I'm okay to be on youth council, but I'm not okay to be the president. I don't want to be the president because I'm just, I'm not good enough, but John is. There's a guy in my, my, my youth group named John Stewart who was like, Here's how, here's how spiritual he was in high school. He carried his Bible around McClure High School, um, like, to class. And I thought, there's no way I would ever do that. And there's, I, I, would just, I just would really rather have the church life be my church life and the school life be my school life and, like, kind of keep those things separate. And, and I was convinced that at that point, it was that desire to make things separate that made me part of, like here's like the JV Christian team and not the varsity. John was like the, the all-American and I was the kid who would never got off the bench when it came to Christianity. And so because of that, because of I, who I knew I was and who I knew John to be, he was the one that was the real good Christian and I was not. And so therefore, I didn't want any part of, of president of, of the youth council. Um, so, uh, I don't know how the vote went, but John was the president and I was the vice president, and that was the way that it should be because I didn't—I knew who I was and who I was not. Um, I want to ask you a question. It's going to be on the screen. Is there something that's in your past or in your present that you think keeps you from God? Is there something in your past or in your present that you think keeps you from God? And, and here's where um, superficially you can come up with, well, you can probably come up with something, but I would really rather you go a little deeper than, than wherever you are superficially. I, like, do you really, in and, and 1988, I knew that I wasn't going to carry my Bible, and the reason that I wasn't going to carry my Bible to school is because I didn't want people to think that I was a weird Jesus freak. And that, that was important to me that, that they think something of me that, that I wanted them to think of me. And, and that made me think that I was, I was less than. Then, and some of you guys have heard this story before too, is I spent a lot of my life realizing that God had called me to be some pastor in some sense. And I was running from God for about 10 or 12 years in the middle of that. And because I didn't, I answer this question poorly. Is there something in your past or in your present that think, you think keeps you from God? Yes was my answer. And, and most likely, yeah, if you really thought about it and, and spent some time engaging, maybe engaging in community, maybe engaging with some friends, maybe engaging in your community group, if you really spent some time thinking about the, your answer to this question and were really honest with yourself, your answer is yes. There's something that in my past, or in my present, that keeps me from God? The answer to that question is this. There's nothing in Scripture, nothing in Scripture that validates a positive answer to this question. There's nothing. There is, if we believe Jesus, if we believe the Bible, then there's nothing in your past or in your present, and for that matter, in your future, that can keep you from God Um, I want to tell you plainly because of Jesus because of Jesus right now in this moment there is nothing standing between you and a deeply intimate relationship with Jesus there's nothing there Anything that you, that you feel or sense is alive from your enemy. And again, I talked about in the call to worship. Say it again now. You have one enemy, and his name is Satan, and the only weapon that he has against you is to get you to believe something that's not true, and he's good at it. And if he's good at it, and if it's that, his, that's his weapon, we absolutely need to be engaged in exposing ourselves to the truth. That's why it's so vital for us to engage in community. That's why it's so vital for us to engage in church. That's why it's so vital for us to read the scriptures. Because it speaks the truth over us and combats our enemy. There's nothing. No pattern of sin. No generational sin. No cultural sin. No personal sin. Nothing that keeps you from God. And... There's nothing that can keep you from participating in the activity of God. Um, A great example of that is our character in our redemption story today, Rahab the harlot. So the the word that's translated as prostitute is translated in other places as as harlot. um, And it means, the, the Hebrew word is this word zana which means a woman who yields herself indiscriminately to every man approaching her. Okay, get by the words of all of that and think about what that means. This word zana in Rahab is this. A woman who yields herself, think about the word yield, Think about driving and when you yield, what are you you doing when you're driving and you see a yield sign? That means that person is more significant than I am and therefore I have to give way to them. Think about that in this context. A woman who gives way to the desires or plans of herself indiscriminately, means she doesn't discriminate any male human being she yields to their desires for every man that's approaching her. Think about what must have been in her brain, what must have been her self-worth, what must have been her, like what she thought of what her, her value was. And, and it's, it's this incredible idea. I want you to really think about that. Um. So here, here's a. At, at the risk of, of this being Rick's therapy, I want to share uh, something that, that's in my my spirit. Is there's a lot of times where, like, I know the truth and and what what this place is, but there's there's a lot of times where I I tie up my value and my worth in the number of people that are sitting in these seats. And we're like 12 plus years old and th- this is the result of me. And I, like, like there's all kinds of error that's in the middle of that. But the, the truth is that there are many times where I spend alone, thinking, praying, wondering, feeling sorry for myself about the size that we are and the impact that we may or may not be having and whatever. And I process through all of that. And again, we have one enemy and his name is Satan. His only weapon is to get us to believe something is not true. And and think about Rahab. And this is what, like, this is what she lives with. That the only thing that I bring to the table in this entire world, the only thing of value that's in me, is what I can give to a man sexually. Imagine the the hell that that has to be in her. Spirit and in her, her brain and her world. Like this inescapable feeling that she has to yield herself indiscriminately to every man who encounters her. Um, Rahab is also talked about in the New Testament in two places. And that's so the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and the New Testament was written in Greek. So, Zana is the Hebrew word for prostitute. And porne, P-O-R-N-E, where we get our word for pornography, is the Greek word for what Rahab is. And this is what that word means. One who yields her body for sexual uses for the sake of gain. The only thing that I have in this world to gain anything for myself is my body. And here's the like what she feels in her being is this is where I am valuable because that's what the culture has said to her we talked a few weeks ago f- few weeks ago about cultural sin we are in a world that has cultural sin cultural sin of of racism cultural sins of uh, this obsession with sex here in our world, not like we're, we're just obsessed with it. And so these cultural sins seep into our being, seep into our spirits and make us do things and make us view the world in certain ways. The cultural sin of Rahab's day brought this to her, that her only value is in her body and what she can provide for rich men and this is who she is. Um, Rahab's redemption in Joshua 2:11, she sees God for who He is. she's talking to the spies that she's protected and lied for, and she says, "For the Lord, your God is God in heaven." above, and on the earth below. She sees God rightly for who he is, and the truth of that begins to predict who she is and how she's changed. Um, So Rahab's redemption is rooted in her faith and in her seeing God. So your redemption is rooted in your faith and how you view and see God. I want to bring three quick thoughts that I have about Rahab's faith, and I think these are really important. First, she shows up in what's called the Hebrews wall of our hall of faith. Ever heard that before? That phrase before the hall of faith? So, Hebrews chapter 11 is a, is a series of by faith, this person did this, by faith, this person did this. The people that show up there are, are Abraham. And Moses and Noah, by faith, Abraham did this. By faith, Noah did this. By faith, Moses did this. And Rahab shows up there. Um, I find that to be fascinating. That in a, in a series of statements about the greatness of our Old Testament heroes, we have Moses, we have Noah, we have David, and we have this prostitute who yields herself indiscriminately for men. That's incredible. Wherever your brokenness is or whatever brokenness you think you have, whatever the thing that's necessary to, to redeem you and give you this beautiful redemption story is offered to you freely. Hebrews eleven thirty one. This is Rahab's Hall of Faith induction. By faith, Rahab the prostitute. Do you think that she ever thought about, like, how come every time my name shows up in Scripture, behind it, it it can't just be Rahab, but Rahab the prostitute. And again, it's not just prostitute. it's, it's It's deeper than that. It's harlot deeper than that. Do you think she ever... Like, I wonder if, if she, like, got up to heaven and she's like, why does this have to? What if I was always introduced as Rick the whiny, insecure pastor? And here's the thing, like it's not about Rick, it's not about Rahab. That's true. She was a harlot. She was a prostitute. And if we want it to be about her, then it's going to end with her and it's only going to be as valuable as she is. But the fact that she is a prostitute and she is a harlot and I am a whiny, self-insecure pastor brings attention to this holy and wonderful and perfect God who has redeemed my junk and redeemed Rahab's junk and can and will redeem your junk. Say amen to that because that's, that's incredible, powerful, good news for your life. I want you to hear me. Your past is not relevant in how God views you. Do you hear me? Your past is not relevant in how God use, views you. The past of Jesus is the only thing that's relevant in how God views you. Secondly, she also shows up as an example of faith, of genuine faith, what it compels you to do in James 2.25. James 2.25. James is, And we're going to study James in the fall, by the way, um, and I'm excited about it. But the theme of James is what faith ought to do to you, what faith ought to compel you to do. Because you have faith, these are the things that you ought to do. And here... While making this point, James says this, and in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute, there she is again, why can't I just be Rahab? Because it's not about Rahab, it's about a holy God. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. Whatever you think of yourself, whatever you think of your standing with Jesus, know this, Jesus has done everything that's necessary to bring the gospel to bear on your brokenness. And when Jesus brings the gospel to bear on your brokenness, redemption happens every single time. Um, here's the last thing. She also, Rahab shows up in the line of Jesus that's in Matthew. Um, i to read these verses. And Sam the father of Boaz by Rahab and by Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth and Obed the father of Jesse and Jesse the father of David the king and David was the father of Solomon by his wife Uriah. Um, This is Matthew chapter 1 gives this long genealogy of from Abraham to the birth of Jesus. And Rahab is in that. She, Rahab, the prostitute, is in the family tree of Jesus. And she's just a few. Think about this for a second. She's just a few generations removed from David. And then that's one generation removed from Solomon. Like, she goes from prostitute, her family line goes from prostitute to the richest man who ever walked, who had his own set of brokenness. But here's the thing. I I was reading a a tweet yesterday, um, and I I think I knew this, but it hit me today, or last night, that uh, Jonathan Edwards, who I've, I've quoted many times in this church, a great founder of our faith and part of the original Great Awakening, like the first revival that happened in our country is primarily responsible to Jonathan Edwards. And I found this out today, or yesterday. He was a slave owner. And that, that idea messes with me. That probably if there is a human being who is the founder of of American Christianity, it's Jonathan Edwards. So he's in our Christian family tree. And he was a slave owner. And you guys, um, Ancestry.com, have you, ever, have you ever, has anybody ever done that? Like paid like the 40 or 50 bucks, whatever it is, to, to find their genealogy. I would really like to do that. I'm, I'm fascinated by history and by Ancestry. Um, but one of the reasons why I haven't is because I don't want to, if that's in my past, like, I'm scared of what I'm going to find of what my great, great, great grandfather was or what he did or, or who he owned. And why is that? Because I don't want that stain in my history. And if it is in my history, I don't want to know about it. I want to hide it, I don't, and I definitely don't want you to know about it, but God chose to put the fact that in his history, in the, in the ancestry of Jesus, is this woman. Isn't that incredible to think about that? There are three women that show up in that genealogy. Ruth, and and the other one who's not even mentioned here, It, it shows Solomon by the wife of Uriah. That's Bathsheba. So Ruth, Bathsheba, who got in the line via adultery, and Rahab. Like, this is... Fascinating to me to think that something that I would want to hide, Jesus puts on full display and, and, and protects and, and wants the whole world to know about because it's not about you or your reputation. My brain right now wants to never read another Jonathan Edwards book. But God redeems. God saves. God, brokenness always precedes redemption. So whatever your answer to that first question is, is there something about you or in your past or in your present or even in your future that you think keeps you from God? Let the story of Rahab say to you, no, There's not. There can never be. Because my brokenness shines a beautiful light on the wonder and majesty of God. So feel free to dive into the depth of your depravity. Because in the depth of your depravity is found this beautiful redemption that in spite of who you are and what you've done, Jesus loves you. Let's pray. God, thank you for this beautiful story of the redemption of Rahab. God, I pray that you would, um, God, allow us to, to think on a deep level and get beyond the superficial. and see that you are a beautiful, redeeming God. And we are not beyond redemption. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his glory and his wonder and his majesty and that he loves us exactly where we are. Thank you for the redemption story. Thank you for our individual redemption stories that point to the redemption story. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen.